0: That second reading from today comes from uh, Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 31 to 39, and that's on page 1042 of the Pew Bibles, subtitled, The Believer's Triumph. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he also, not with him, grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction, or anguish, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or the sword? As it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present nor things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Um, this is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks the God. Well, last week it was... 43 degrees today. It's 23. Uh, last Sunday we did 176 verse psalm. Today we're going to do a six verse psalm. But the good news is, things change, but God is the same. So let me pray, Heavenly Father, we thank you that no matter what comes, uh, that one day is different to the next, but you are the same. And you've spoken us to, to us, spoken to us in your word. And so we pray uh, that, yeah, we would. Would not be half-hearted, but you would shape us, mold us, and change us. Amen. What do Charles Darwin and Hugh Jackman have in common? It's not science. It's not theater or musicals. Can you imagine Charles Darwin? Evolution. Like, they don't have much in common, but there's one thing they have in common. And it's suffering was the reason why they walked away from God. For Charles Darwin, it was the death, the, the shocking death of his daughter, Malvin, was the tipping point for him walking away from God. For Hugh Jackman, he attended a youth group here in Sydney, and he was very unsatisfied with the answers that he got to suffering and God. But you don't have to be well-known uh, to experience this kind of thing. You yourself, or maybe your friends or family, the question of suffering was the reason why they have or you're thinking about giving up on God. I want to suggest that the Psalms and this Psalm, this song written in the Bible, Psalm 13, offers something to this discussion that often skeptics and Christians ignore. A different way of approaching this very real subject that has touched us all. Because in Psalm 13, we're going to see, it offers a response that is practical, but not simplistic. It, it's, it's satisfying, but it's not comprehensive. It's, it's hopeful, but it's not naive. And now I'm not saying Psalm 13, if Hugh Jackman or Charles Darwin read it, or you know, after this sermon, you're going to be like, oh, okay, everything's answered. No, that's just a bit dumb, right? But what Psalm 13 does is it provides a way of how to be real to the pain you're experiencing and hold on to God. So let's, let's work through it. Where would you begin in answering the question about suffering and God? Most of us begin with the head. We, we give an answer. Uh, we, we look for the logic, the reason, maybe a Bible verse or two. You know where this psalm begins? It begins with a heart, emotions. As you read the first two verses, the five questions that I ask, you feel David, who wrote, you feel his anger. It's almost like a how. This is what he says Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you hide your face? From me, how long will I store up anxious concerns with me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Now that is very blunt, isn't it? The thing about suffering, right, is you the, the tears, the anger, the frustration, it just comes out. You can't stop it. And this is what David's going through. out of his mouth flows this anger, this frustration, this confusion. Um, I was at part of the healing service in the cathedral on Wednesday nights for a couple of years. And I ran a uh, sort of a how to respond in, in your darkest hour, sort of using the psalms like this. And I remember one person, they said, I don't think David should ask these questions. It almost feels a bit disrespectful, a bit, bit rude. It almost feels like that TV show. Uh, it got? You can't ask that on the ABC." Because like you can't ask these questions of God. But I love about this psalm, it gives us permission. It's not like God saying, oh, a real believer, they wouldn't ask these questions. I don't want that in my Bible. No, no, no. By the fact that it is in God's Word, and this is not the only time, all throughout the Bible, it is saying, bring your questions before me. Be honest to me. Come and cry out, God is saying. Because often we treat God like strangers. You know, when a stranger comes and says, oh, how are you doing? You say, oh, I'm great. Life's going well. Meanwhile, you lost your job. Your car's been stolen and someone's taken. Your last Tim Tam. You know, like life's not good. But you just sort of smile and ha- put on a happy face. We do that with God. But when you're in the depths of despair, Psalm 13 is saying the first step is not to hide how you feel, but to share it. Not to downplay your frustration, but to let it out to ask the questions directly to God, why do I have cancer? Why is my marriage not working? Why is nothing changing? Why are things getting worse? To be blunt before God. And the reasons why you can do this is this. It honors life. It honors the fact, that for David, he knows that God is good, and yet there are, evil things happening. He knows that God is in control, and yet it feels like He's absent. As you ask questions, it honors the complexity of life, that this life does seem like it's a paradox. But more than that, God is big enough to be asked these questions. He doesn't say, oh, don't ask me that, can't deal with it. No, no, no. He's big enough for you to ask these questions of Him. The problem is not asking blunt questions. The problem is not coming to Him with them. So whatever hard things you face, the painful, the unexpected, the ongoing, the tragedy, God is saying, come to me and cry out. I wonder if you've done that before. For some of you, something happened a while ago, some suffering, and you feel maybe distance between you and God. Can I suggest that maybe it's because you haven't cried out to Him, complained to Him, Share your frustration with him, and it's not too late to do that. A number of years ago, my cousin uh, Reese, uh, was walking across the road and he got hit by a truck and he got crushed. The next day I was at Lake Parramatta, and I was just walking that lake, and I was a blubbering mess. And I was just honest to God, and I said, "God, why?" He was 17. He was disabled. Everyone loved him. He brought joy to everyone's heart. And he's gone. And I tell you, by the end of that day, I was thankful I was a Christian. That I had a God who wanted me to come to him and cry out and to be honest David moves from asking questions to asking requests of God in this psalm. He's still honest, but he shares what he desperately needs. Have a look with me in verse 3 and 4. Consider me and answer, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes, otherwise I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. That restore brightness to my eyes basically means uh, renewed energy, healing, because He knows the consequence is going to be death. See, the psalm is saying, ask God for what you need in desperate times. Because just as we're hesitant to bring our questions before God, we're also tend to be hesitant to ask God. We're, either, we're hesitant to ask because we're confident in ourselves, so we don't ask, or we're despairing of ourselves, so we're, we're afraid to ask. For those of us who don't ask, it's because we think, well, I'll be able to work it out. I'll be able to fix it. I'll just think positive, good night, and it'll be all be good. She'll be right, mate. We're cynical of God and we're confident in ourselves. We think, you know what? Look, even if I prayed, the prayer was answered, it would have happened anyway. So what's the use? But suffering does something to you where it sort of shakes you. It exposes to the fact that the reality is you need God in everything. Suffering does something what other things can't do. And our tendency is to go it alone, but God's tendency is to help. And He's saying, Put me to the test, ask me. For those of us who are afraid to ask, who think, you know, God's up there, he's busy, he's got a lot on his mind. I'm I'm look, I'm just little old me. He doesn't want to, you know, I don't want to bother him. There's two words in this verse, verse three, which I love. My God. Two words side by side, my God. Saying he's intimate, but he's huge. He, he, he's personal, but He's God. He knows all, but He knows you. My God. See, verses 3 and 4 are telling us, whatever situation you're in, come and ask God what you so desperately need in the tough times of life. So who do you turn to in desperate situations? Some of, uh, some of us have family members who have jobs, which are great in an emergency situation. Uh, I have mainly teachers in my family, so they're not good in an emergency situation. You know, you don't call them like, I, how do you spell discombobulate quickly? You know, it's, it, it, it just... But some of you have doctors in your family. Some of you have plumbers. Some of you have lawyers. Some of you are cancer specialists. And when you get in trouble with the law, or when the bathroom starts filling up with water, when you get a lump that shouldn't be there, you know who to talk to. And you have a clear line, a personal line directly to them. So God is saying, when desperate times come, I am here and nothing is impossible. And nothing will stop me listening to you. So we can be honest before God with our questions and what we need. In the last two verses comes a very significant word. It's the first word of verse 5. But, in the despair, in the hopelessness and the uncertainty, but, David says, I've trusted in your faithful love. Now, if you think, if you're apathetic about that statement, you think, okay, cool, next, you haven't understood that. Because what it's saying is this, regardless, God, of whether you answer my prayers or not, regardless of what's to come, regardless if things get worse, but I've trusted in your Faithful love. See so it's important to know that it is very normal when you're going through suffering for your your faith to waver. Uh, you might be a stronger faith, stronger Christian at the end of it, but often when you're going through it, it's uh, it's very normal for you for you have a very weak, fragile faith, like a, like a flame just flickering. It's like suffering hits you and knocks you off a cliff, and you're latched on, and then your fingers start falling one by one. But there's a great word in here. It's the word your. I trust it in your faithful love. Not my faithful, but your faithful love. Because the good news is this. It's not the quality of your faith, the strength of your faith, the conviction of your faith that matters. It's who your faith is in that does. Where God is a God who's faithful and holds on to you. He is there. That phrase, your faithful love, means loyal, ever-present. It's kind of kind of quality you want in a marriage or a, or a friendship or a parent. Where God is saying, I'm not just going to be there in the good times but in the bad times. I'm not going to be there based on your track record, but I'm going to be there unconditionally. I'm not going to be there just when I feel like it, but I'm going to be always there. As we hold on to that cliff and our fingers start slipping, God says, I am there ready to catch you. But the good news is that God is not just there with his arms out. But God himself has actually walked the very steps of this psalm himself. Jesus, this is a psalm of David, but it could have easily been a psalm of Jesus Christ. Because those five questions that it began, this psalm, could have come from the lips of Jesus himself as he hung there on the cross, as the sky darkened. As God the Father turned His face to His Son because of our sin, Jesus Christ could have well have said, how long will you forget me? Lord, how long, how long will you hide your face from me? How long will my enemy dominate me? And indeed, Jesus too asked requests of God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, He said, I'm paraphrasing, but restore my eyes or I'll die. My enemies will win. And God said no to that prayer request of Jesus. He said no not because he couldn't do anything, but he said no to Jesus so that he could say yes to you, that he could remove your sin and that you know that you can have a clear line to God himself. And all the while, Jesus, regardless of what happened, trusted in God's faithful love without hesitation. He didn't waver. So in the times that you do, you can be confident that Jesus says, I've got you. Suffering can take everything away, but it can't take the fact that Jesus is with you and that he loves you. In England, there was a miner, uh, a Christian man. He was working in the mines and a big accident happened. He meant he couldn't walk from the waist down. This was a while ago, so there's no wheelchairs, there's no health care. And so all he did was he sat and he watched out his window and the world passed him by. He watched his mates grow up, get married, have children, have grandchildren, while he sat. He watched uh, his body wither and frail away. He watched his company that he worked for be quite successful and not reimburse him in the slightest. And a young man from the same mine that he worked with came to him one day and he said, I hear you're still a Christian. Given that what's happened to you, why do you still think Jesus loves you? And the man who's quite old at this stage, he said, there are days when I doubt. There are days when I'm not sure anymore. But you know what? There's times when it feels like Satan's at the end of my bed. And he points things in my life. He, he, He points out the house that's falling around. He says, well, does Jesus love you? And he points to my co-workers, who are still fit and strong, and he says, does Jesus love you? And he points to the grandchild of one of my good mates, a mate who has everything that I wanted. He said, does Jesus love you? And the young man said, what do you you tell Satan at that point? And the older Christian man said, "I, I take Satan by the hand, and I take him to a hill far away, a hill called Calvary. And I point to those nails in his hand, the crown of thorns on his head, and the spear in his side, and I say, look, doesn't Jesus love me? It is not the situation that you are in that determines whether Jesus loves you or not. It's a situation Jesus was in at that cross that shows that he loves you and nothing Tragedy, sickness, grief can take that away. There are one or two other words that I find unusual at the end of this psalm. One of them is found in verse 5. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. The other one's in verse 6. I will sing to the Lord. David, in his midst of his anguish and grief, rejoices. He wants to sing. How? Uh, at my, the church I grew up in, there was a guy called Shane. He was a warden of the church uh, and had six children. And about in his 40s, got bowel cancer. And within a couple of months, he was dead. And I remember at the funeral, these words were, saying, was, were said, we're all probably wondering why Shane died. But you know what, the minister said, even if we were given it an answer to why Shane died, we would still cry because he's gone. We need something more than an answer. We need hope. And the good news is that Shane hoped, put his trust in the fact that Jesus is not dead, but he is alive. A certain hope. A hope that gives us joy that we will see Him again if we trusted in Him. And I tell you, in the front row, there's six children with tears still in their eyes. that had a smile on their face. Because you can rejoice in deliverance, in hope that is coming. That it's not always going to be like this. I always thought I will sing to the Lord was an odd phrase. Until, as I mentioned before, when my cousin died, I had this unusual longing, Right? to want to come to church and sing. I I enjoy singing, but it was an unusual phrase. I wanted to come and sing with God's people. And so it happened on Monday, and so I was counting down the days until Sunday. I couldn't sing by myself, but I wanted to be around Christians and sing. I think in all the confusion, all the grief, and all the hurt, words couldn't do justice. I needed music. And so I stepped into church, and we sang a song which like, went like this. Freely you gave it all for us, surrendered your life upon that cross. Great is the love poured out for all. And I was reminded that God actually has been generous to us. I love Psalm 13. I love it because it is a God-given model, a way of how to hold on and be real to the, f- the pain and the agony you're feeling and yet hold on to God. It, it's not academic. It's not philosophical. It doesn't say ignore the pain, put it away. No, no, no. It says be real, be honest. Come to God and how. But come to God with the things that you desperately need and clutch on to the fact that God is a God who is faithful and loves you. And unfailing. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, suffering often comes to us when we least expect it out of left field. One day things are going well, and all of a sudden bad news shakes us to the core. We pray that when those times come, that we would hear your word this morning. Use Psalm 13 as a way in which we can bring our frustrations, our confusion, our questions, our pain, our agony to you, knowing you want us to. And I pray that we would, in those desperate times, ask, be specific of what we need. And we would remind ourselves of the great truths that you, Lord Jesus, know what it's like to experience the pain, and you came to give us hope. We ask this in your name. Amen.